0: Hello, this is Rev. John Ferrett, and this is the continuing series, The Gospel According to Moses According to the Book of Exodus. Before we begin, a couple things, one, this lesson is going to be in two parts. After doing the research and the study and the reading, I am just actually overwhelmed by the significance of this lesson. and all of the truths that God has for us in lesson number 28. Second of all, in the next lessons, uh, maybe the next one or the one after that or whatever, I'm going to be having you be able to access my bibliography. Um, These podcasts (coughs) are more than my referencing Dennis Prager's work with his two new books, Genesis the Rational Bible and Exodus the Rational Bible, his Torah commentary, or Dr. John Kareen and his Torah commentary from a Christian perspective, but also a perspective of an Egyptologist and an archaeologist, or the JPS Torah commentary. There's so much more, so much more. There is no way we can study the first five books of the Bible with all, without all the references that seem to be required. And most everything that I teach is not my opinion. Oh, I may say this is my view or my thought or something like that, but that's few and far between. So, anyway, I'll be giving that bibliography out shortly. This is a result of an experience I just had recently with a group of people on a Facebook page, Ray Vanderland's Facebook page. And um, I had responded to a request by somebody on the Facebook page. And it just so happened that many other people saw my post and they wanted my references and they wanted to have access to articles and so on. And I said, you know, it's a good thing I should do this for Exodus and Genesis so that all of you have the bibliography and can actually access some of those works for yourself to go and study the Torah as a disciple of Yeshua in a deeper way. Now, in the ancient Egyptian culture, I brought this up previously, when there is somebody who says they have a heavy heart, and it really means mind. Like I said, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture in Egypt and in Israel, when you talk about your heart, or the heart is the place where sin starts, we're not talking about the heart. We're not talking about emotions or feelings. We're talking about the mind, our mental capacity. So if somebody has a heavy heart, a heavy mind, we might say it's like um, a Christian view of a sinner's heart, actually our mind. We, in, in Christianity, we'd say, okay, if there's a sinner and they have an unrepentative heart and the person dies, Um, it's probably going to be the fact that they're going to be judged and they may face eternal punishment. And it's the same thing in the ancient Egyptian culture. A person who has a heavy heart or mind is one who does not serve Ma'at. And Ma'at is the goddess of order and harmony, truth, justice, and goodness. You can actually access Information you can actually access the Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And you'll see in there excellent descriptions of when a person dies. They enter the Hall of Ma'at, the Hall of Truth, the Hall of Order. And there, their heart, meaning their mind, is put on a scale, on one plate of a scale. On the other plate of the scale, is going to be the feather of Ma'at. Ma'at is pictured as a goddess in a number of cases, a wing goddess. And she has a sort of a headdress and in her headdress is a feather. So on the other plate of the scale we have the feather of Ma'at. Now, if the mind, the heart is heavier is heavier than Ma'at's feather that soul is going to experience eternal damnation but if that heart is lighter than Ma'at's feather that soul is going to experience eternal life with the gods only for the simple reason that a heavy heart shows that they're against Ma'at where a light heart, light in the sense that lighter than Ma'at's feather is that they're righteous before Ma'at And I I just have to say, when we're studying the ancient Egyptian culture and we talk about this idea of a heavy heart or heavy mind, it really seems to help us make sense out of all of this. Go, Go beyond the English, way beyond the English. And there's nothing wrong with the English. We have the English version of the Bible today. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more behind it if we take the Bible and put it in its historical context. Now, again, you know that one of the goals of this entire series, and the one in Genesis, is to understand how the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, how they understood all of this. And so, therefore, once we get an idea of what they experienced, what they were used to in these days in 1446 B.C., It expands and enriches our understanding today of God's Word. Now, in Lesson 27, we read the following, and I'm going to be reading Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 34 and going into the first verse of chapter 10. But I want to read it in such a way that the verse numbers are not there, because that's how it was originally written. So therefore, there was no verse 34, 934, and 935, and ten one. There was no separation of chapters. These verses just flowed right into each other. So I'm going to read it that way. Starting in verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. Now, what's fascinating here is, is verse 34, 9:34 and 10, one are related to each other because Pharaoh hardened his heart and his servants' hearts were hardened. But then we get to verse 1 of chapter 10 God says I have hardened Pharaoh's heart and the heart of his servants now in verse 34 it's not that hardened his heart it, the Hebrew word there is kavod the Strong's number is 35 13, and it means to make heavy not hard in verse 35 when it talks about hardening his heart it's not hardening his heart It's kazakh, a completely different Hebrew word, and its Strong's number is 2388. And it has the implication, the conceptual idea of giving courage. So, as it's related to Egypt, if one has a heavy heart, if Pharaoh and his servants have a heavy heart, we have to ask this, heavy to who? Well, it's obvious in that ancient culture. If we're looking at this from that perspective of ancient Egypt and the ancient religion of Egypt and the relationship of Pharaoh to Ma'at, Pharaoh's heart and the heart of his servants were heavy towards Moses, towards the Hebrews, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not Ma'at. Their hearts were light towards her. Remember the book of the dead. Pharaoh thus is living righteously as to his gods and his serving of ma'at. His heart is light and his servants as well because their whole goal, their whole life, but especially Pharaoh, is to preserve ma'at. Now in verse 35, it's not that he hardened his heart again, like he did something the same as he did in verse 34. This is a completely different Hebrew word. As I mentioned, it was kazakh. So after he, you might say, makes his heart heavy towards Moses, towards Israel, and towards God, he gives courage to his heart. He's gonna continue to fight the good fight against the Lord. He's gonna fight and continue to fight against Yahweh. Again, you guys, we're in the historical context, and we're looking at the ancient Egyptian culture, and all of a sudden, this starts making sense as we put these verses back into its historical context and ancient cultural context in 1446 B.C., things begin to make sense. And so perhaps we'd say this is the way the Hebrews understood this. And for us, we remember Jesus' words that really the heart is the source of all evil and all sin. He's talking about the mind. So, even in Jesus' day, we get get a deeper and richer understanding of the Middle Eastern mindset. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 10, God made Pharaoh's heart heavy. Kavod, heavy. Not hard, not stiff, not like concrete, but heavy, weighty. And again, this is the opposite of 34. God is bringing heaviness to Pharaoh's heart and his servants where in verse 34 we had read no, Pharaoh made his heart heavy and the heart of his servants so again, we stay with the Egyptian culture and we ask if we stay here heavy to who? of course, heavy to Ma'at Adonai we ask did he take away Pharaoh's free will? it can't be if so, in the next plague of the locusts, Pharaoh would have surrendered at once if he had no free will, but he didn't. Could it be that God, since plague one, was trying to change Pharaoh's mind? Of course. God loved the Egyptians, God loved the Pharaoh. We remember John 3, 16. For God so loved the whole world And he still does. God may not have wanted to hit Egypt so hard and as hard as he did. It seems as if he wanted Pharaoh by his own free will to let the people go. We're going to see this. We're going to see where other scholars agree with this. But again and again, Pharaoh's mind was strongly committed to serving Maat. He was courageously Strongly committed to his gods to the gods of Egypt that are called demons. Look this up in Deuteronomy 32, 17 courageously committed to his religion that's the meaning of his whole life but it's the wrong story. His gods are demons if Pharaoh gives in to a foreign god his heart will be heavier than Maat's feather and he will be eternally damned by Ba'at and Amun-Ra that's his religion that's his worldview. it seems like God again and again was trying to have Pharaoh turn away freely from his gods God again and again wanted him to turn away freely from these demons and to turn freely to Adonai Echad the Lord alone the Lord, the one and only the only God We're going to see this in the next two plagues. Pharaoh will not surrender. His free will was not taken. And in both cases, God makes his heart heavier. It seems as if what God is trying to do is convince Pharaoh's mind to turn from ma'at. We don't understand exactly what's going on between God and Pharaoh in terms of this heaviness, but God is doing something in his mind. Maybe actually developing that rationale and saying, man, I have seen so much suffering in my people, I've got to let these people go. Seems like God doesn't want to kill the firstborn of Egypt. And we have to consider who God is because later on in Exodus, we'll be coming to it. God tells Moses what he's like. We can find this in X 34, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. These in, in Judaism, these are called the 13 attributes of Yahweh, the 13 attributes of the Lord. <clears throat> Exodus 34, 6 through 7, Then the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. So in other words, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now this is for all of us. God is saying who he's like to Moses, to the entire world. God is doing all he can not to violate Pharaoh's free will. He's trying to influence Pharaoh's mind to turn freely to turn freely from Ma'at to surrender. Or the pounding will continue. Now we just study the plague of hail. A great portion of Of Egyptians' economy was destroyed. Their economy was based upon grain. You can read about this and when you talk and study again the Bible in its historical context, what was the main export of Egypt? Go to the story of Joseph. Egypt was the breadbasket of the world, and their huge main export is grain. Well, already because of the hail. The barley, which is the grain that first matures in the Middle East, then comes the wheat. The barley was completely destroyed. But as we have read, the wheat was not going to be mature yet for another couple of months. Now when you understand Passover and you understand Pentecost, and Pentecost is the feast of the wheat harvest, and Passover is the feast of the the barley harvest, this makes sense. But now, now comes the locusts. Now, the economy of Egypt is going to be annihilated. You know, it seems to me, these things, these plagues are just getting worse and worse and worse. Oh yeah, Egyptians were hurt with the boils and the gnats and the, everything else that has happened. But now, their economy whole economy is going to be annihilated the hammer of God is about to fall again hard so let's read Exodus 10 verse 2 through 11 and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and I will perform my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail and they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses shall be filled and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, take heed for evil is in your mind not so go now the men among you and serve the Lord for that is what you desire so they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence now in verse 2 there's an interesting phrase there and the phrase in the New American Standard is that you may know that I am the Lord Yadatem Ki ani Yahweh. Yadatem ki ani yave. Now we saw this in lesson 27 and before. The word is Yada, to know. Strong's number is 3045. To know experientially, intimately, completely. <clears throat> and God wants this for Israel and He wants it for Egypt. You can read this in Exodus, Exodus 6:7, 7.5, 7, 7.17. and now in 10.2. God loves not only Israel, but Egypt. Imagine in Isaiah 19.25, God calls Egypt my people. It's clear. The Bible again shows us again and again what God is like. It's as if God wanted Pharaoh to know him a lot sooner so he wouldn't have to continue with plagues 8, 9 and the last one, 10 in verse 3 of chapter 10 we come to another phrase the Hebrews are coming out of Egypt they they would get it they had assimilated into the pagan Egyptian culture now we showed this earlier in, I can't remember, maybe it was lesson two, maybe lesson three or lesson four of this series on Egypt. And again, here's another strong case to show by studying the Bible in its historical context. Our understanding is enriched. Our understanding is enhanced. We go beyond the King James English and just what we read in the Bible from translators of the 21st century. We go beyond... The 20 The views of the 21st century, they've abandoned so much of the historical context. But the phrase there in I said verse 3 oh, yeah, the phrase is this Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Ko amar ha-evrim. Ko amar ha-evrim. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. What I'm focusing in on is, Thus says the Lord, Ko Amar Yahweh. This is going against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In the Egyptian ancient writings, you'll find that the gods, their gods, are saying, in certain circumstances, Thus says Osiris, the god of Egypt. Or in another case, you'll see in in ancient writings, uh, uh, very close to this time period, Thus says Amun, the god of Egypt. Pharaoh says this in Exodus 5, verse 10 again pharaoh says thus says pharaoh so i just thank dr john kareed and his books against the gods and his other one the ancient egypt and the old testament where he goes into this and shows us that our god is using phraseology that would be used by pharaoh and their priests and so on to mock them he's mocking pharaoh and their gods but he's using the phraseology for them to turn to see the true God the true God of the universe without this historical context we wouldn't appreciate this expanded view and we put the Bible in its historical context and we see the truth we see the truth that God's word is wider than wide and higher than high and deeper than deep God wants us to go deeper in his word wants us to go deeper in his word because as we're going to be coming to it in a short period of time we're going to see that the written word of god the torah is the bread of life and say wait a minute jesus is the bread of life wait till we get there now dennis prager in his audio torah that's available at his website He brought up some uh, very interesting added background about the second plague, the plague of the locust in the third triad. Remember the plagues one through nine are in triads in the groups of three. And we talked about the pattern. We talked about this in lesson 27. We talked about this in lesson 26. Plagues one, two, and three are one triad four, five, and six, the second triad, seven through nine, the last triad, and we're on the second plague of the last triad, the locusts. It's an amazing pattern. An amazing pattern that suggests to doubters that these plagues are more than random acts of nature. There is a design behind this. There is a plan. Dennis, bless his heart, referenced one of his Torah commentaries that he uses and the Torah commentary by Dr. Joseph Hertz. Dr. Joseph Hertz is an extraordinary Jewish scholar of the early 20th century. And his Torah commentary with regards to the locusts, he has a comment then on verse 5. Dr. Hertz says this is literally true of locusts. Lord Bryce thus describes a swarm of locusts. It is a strange sight. Beautiful, if you can forget the destruction it brings with it. The whole air to 12 or 18 feet above the ground is filled with the insects, reddish brown in body, with bright gauzy wings. When the sun's rays catch them, it is like the seas sparkling with light. When you see them against a cloud, they are like the dense flakes of a driving snowstorm. You feel as if you had never been realized immensity in number. They blot out the sun above and cover the ground beneath and fill the air whichever way one looks. The breeze carries them swiftly past, but they come on in fresh clouds, a host of which there is no end. Each of them a harmless creature, which you can catch and crush in your hand, but appalling in their power of collective devastation so again god is telling us this this is not a normal infestation again we go back to verse six and in verse six it talks about the fact that this is something neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day they've never seen anything like this before so pharaoh's warned And again, God did not take away his free will. He couldn't have, or else Pharaoh would have surrendered by now. But he didn't. In verse 7, his court advisors, perhaps his magicians, they're talking about, stop this king, give in. Egypt is ruined. Now, Dennis Prager, knowing that Pharaoh's close advisors are against him he makes an awesome observation with regards to this fact that the advisors of Pharaoh are against him and so reading from his Torah commentary Exodus, God's Slavery and Freedom the Rational Bible Dennis comments the Torah documents the disagreement between Pharaoh and his advisors in order to emphasize Pharaoh's stubbornness Even when his most trusted advisors tell him Egypt is lost and beg him to release his slaves, Pharaoh still insists on keeping the Israelites in bondage, though the following verse depicts him as making a minor but ultimately irrelevant concession. The advisors see what Pharaoh refuses to see. The The Egyptian king is no match for the God of Israel. Now listen to this. But the advisors, too, are victims of their own false beliefs. Believing Pharaoh to be a divine figure, they neither don't have the courage or the ability to overthrow him, release the Israelites, and thereby save themselves, their families, and the Egyptian people from terrible suffering. This verse proves that God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart did not deprive Pharaoh of his free will. Because God also had hardened the hearts of his advisors, his courtiers. And yet, unlike Pharaoh, they decided the Israelites should be allowed to leave. Pharaoh decided they couldn't leave. So again, here is just another implication right there in God's word. That God never took away Pharaoh's free will. So his servants, his advisors, his cabinet disagree. They remind the king of everything that came before and then Pharaoh must be listening to them and saying, oh yeah, you're right. A lot of this stuff is pretty tough. So Pharaoh must be getting gun shy and he brings Moses and Aaron back. And he says to them, okay, you can go, but who's going to go with you? Moses said, well, we're all going to go. Even our children are animals. And Pharaoh says, well, wait a minute he's about to lose his free labor he's not going to allow it so he says men only well that makes sense because if the men are going to go only and their wives and their families and their children and their cattle and their possessions are left behind they're going to come back moses basically says okay pharaoh no way boss man all of us are going or yahweh will bring the hail And we come to verse 10 and again i'm indebted to dennis prager because he says when we get into the hebrew this has a very interesting equivalent alternative meaning equivalent alternative translation because it's based upon the ancient egyptian culture which we miss And once we consider this verse and its ancient culture it makes a lot more sense. Here's the verse. Then he said to them in other words Pharaoh is saying to Moses thus may the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go take heed for evil is in your mind. We're going to address this verse and finish the rest of the lesson in Exodus chapter 10 in part two. See you then.